Midship boys and cabin men, make fast your floating frigate, monitor the mariners on the monkey bridge, and marvel at the economic and cultural impact of the East India Trading Company even centuries after its dissolution. Yar, it's time to talk to, to me. <laughs> that caught me by surprise. Did it really? Yes. <laughs> What would you prefer? Uh, yes, it's time to talk to me. No, I like the pirate one. Yeah, much better. No. Welcome back. I'm Omen Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together, we are Feckless Momes. And this is barely held together. Talk to me. An old sailor's yarn told in the stormy seas of Prague Rock in which Nick Mizzenmast McGill and Omen Swab the Poop Deck Sade will attempt to navigate our way through every single song that fathomless rock band Jethro Tull has ever released. We will get caught in the Martin Bar Maelstrom, trim the John Evans jib, and proudly fly the D. Palmer pennant. And the work will go all the more smoothly while able-bodied Ian Anderson toots out a hornpipe on the flute of fair winds. Yeah, ship metaphor. Insert ship metaphor here. Yeah, nautical, nautical, nautical. Release the Kraken. <laughs> Drop anchor. Uh, ships ahoy. Chips ahoy. Chips ahoy. Chips ahoy. Um, so, Nick, uh, or should I say ahoy? Ahoy. Um, how ahoy. Are you doing? Ahoy to ye. Fine, fine shipman. I'm well. I'm well. I'm doing well. It's it's a Friday evening. It sure we is. are we are we're punchy. We finished a, a week of work. We're good to record the final episode of the tracks proper off of Stormwatch. But uh, before we do that, I mean, I think we should celebrate the end of the week with. That's right, Nick. It is time to play a round of What Are You Drinking? Or more to the point, what am I drinking? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm drinking water. But a fun fact about water, frogs, cats, and dogs are among some of the animals that actually can taste water. They have taste receptors that, like, where water has an actual flavor. As opposed to the, like, meh, maybe you can taste the minerals in hard water, but it's not the same thing. How strange. Peculiar, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I love a drink, but I also have been getting a lot into running lately. And I've I've noticed as I as my body ages that I can sort of choose between am I going to have a beer tonight or am I going to go for a run tomorrow morning? And I was like, surely there is a way out of this madness. Surely I can have my cake and eat it too. And it turns out that I can. <gasps> I discovered this company called Athletic Brewing Company, Athletic Brewing Co., based out of... San Diego, California, or maybe Connecticut. San Diego, Connecticut? San Diego, Connecticut, California. Okay, sure, okay. And they make craft-style non-alcoholic beer. It's about, it has much, about as much alcohol as a kombucha. And just listen to this. No, oh, my nails are so short. Well, I'll be. Oh. Can you see that? I can see it. I can hear it. That looks pretty. That is a nice amber. It is. Uh, this is their hazy IPA, brewed with delightful real hops. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and take a sip right here. It tastes like a beer. It feels like a beer. It doesn't have that bite of alcohol because it's not really it doesn't have alcohol. But other than that, it is. A multi hoppy delightful beverage. So it's beer booch. It's it's come beercha. Come beercha. <laughs> yeah, and you've you've. This is not the first time you've you've had this. How how do you feel the next day after having one? Well, to make up for it, I I take a shot of vodka every time I have one of them. So I mean, obviously, yeah. No, it feels great. I it's it's lovely to not wake up with a headache, not feeling bloated, swollen. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I'm feeling bloated. So, Katie, I'm bloated. Katie. <laughs> how do you how do you know those conversations I that we have? I fly on the wall. But if anyone is looking for a lovely non-hangover-causing beer substitute, I highly recommend Athletic 
brewing company. And if they want to sponsor us, we can talk. Get in on it. Yeah, that sounds delightful. I would love to to find some. They've got to have something at, at Wegmans. We're going to do a grocery trip this weekend and see if yeah. I can find something. You could also order this stuff online like a, like a member of the 21st century. Yeah, but that requires extra shipping. And that not no, not payment wise, not payment wise, that requires the spending of fossil fuels to get it to my door. Well, Why don't I just pick your, it up to your Wegmans somehow? Yeah, but it's an additional trip. Okay, <sighs> Nick. Anything else before we dive into the content of the song, which is oh, Flying Dutchman? We do have some things. We do have uh, first. We've got a little Insta. They are stylus. They're very overtly concerned with the uh, image. Allison L seventy four. It's it's hell. It's on the Instagram, isn't it? Hell, oh, no. Allison Hell. Allison Hell. She's very 70, metal. Seventy four. <laughs> right. First off, I absolutely love this podcast. Yay! Thank, thank you, thank you so much. We we appreciate the feedback. Since I came late to the parentheses your show i have been jumping from one episode to another but then decided to start from the very beginning again we've said this a million times there's no wrong way to listen to our podcast so last night i was listening to the episode about christmas song and i was a little surprised that you failed to mention that the song itself is based on a hymn i wasn't aware of it myself until one day when i was watching a tv show and i heard this faint choir in the background and the melody sounded so familiar After wrecking my brain for several minutes, it finally dawned on me that it very much resembled the notes in JT's Christmas song. I figured it was not very likely that a boy choir was covering Jethro Tull, so I had to Google it, and then discovered this hymn called Once in Royal David City, which is in fact the opening line in both the hymn and Christmas song. That's right. I might be bringing you old news, but I just felt like sharing this tidbit of JT trivia just in case it had passed you by. Smiley face emoticon. All the best from newborn TTTM fan. Thank you, Allison. That is that is not old news. No, it's I'm yours. honestly surprised we, we haven't been scolded by our our more vocal regular fans. I, I thought for sure that we would we would hear something in there. But that's great. What a what a great I I knew the reference of Born in David City. I knew that was like a, a, a Christmassy Catholic reference. I just didn't realize that it was, in fact, from a carol. It sounds like the bit that Ian lifted musically is Oh yeah. And then I think that's a that's Ian's own musical invention from there. Yeah. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah, really great reference. I I probably would have heard if I had seen that on television, I would have gone insane. I probably would have run around the house. Raven would have been very concerned that Yeah, because I I I probably would have taken days to place that. I would have wrecked my brain. (laughs) (laughs) And your health. And my health. Ill-advised. Absolutely. Madam Hell, thank you very much for the information. We really appreciate, as always, we really appreciate all of the tidbits that people write in about the songs. Thank you so much. Please keep listening. Hope you're still enjoying it when you get to this point. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for writing in. Now, one more piece before the the track itself. We have yet to do our Album Lee art appreciation exhibit here. Indeed, as a podcast, uh, it's important to have a strong visual element. So, Nick, let's talk about the album art from Storm Watch. Everybody take out your, your vinyl. 
So, we've got our front cover here. It is an artist's rendition of Sweet Sweet Ian, holding binoculars, lightning flashing in the reflection of the binoculars, and it illuminates an oil derrick out to sea. There is ice in his beard. There are thick gloves on his hand and a hood over his head. The top says Jethro Tull, Stormwatch, in, like, digital clock font. It's a very curious choice. I wonder why. Yeah. Yeah. And the quote on the bottom is actually the line that Francis Wilson uh, transitions into in Dunringill. That he starts it with the shipping forecast and merges in. It says, lines join in faint discord and the storm watch brews. A concert of kings as the white sea snaps at the heels of a soft prayer whispered. Ooh, I, th- that gave me goosebumps. I, I've, the, the weather's on the change. The weather of my goosebumps. Yes. <laughs> oh, and, and about the gloves, you know, Ian's whole outfit in this image is very North Sea chic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. North, North chic. North chic oil. <laughs> yes. So we have no gatefold. Don't tell the sheiks about the oil. <laughs> oh, yeah. No gatefold, but we flip over to our back and we have a polar bear presentation of a glacier here. It is uh, a giant polar bear that represents, it's like busting out of a giant glacier. The glacier itself is butted up onto, I'm assuming, an oil refinery because we see Derek's out in the, the water. There are these, these big factory buildings and the glacier and the polar bear seem to be attacking this coastal, coastal factory. And would you say that this is like done in a, in a photorealism style or is it? Is it more of a painting or an illustration? How would you describe the style? It's really, it's kind of peculiar. It is very peculiar. It's, I would say it is like, it's a combination of painting and photorealism. But like, look at the mouth on that polar bear. That one, that's a bit rough. Vicious. (laughs) This back image very much reminds me of The Forgotten Enemy. Oh, indeed. Yes, yes. Very much, oh very my. much in the um, in the style of that song and, and referencing that. I just noticed, I don't know if you can see, like the faint outline there. Oh, the, of of like the a, wings. Of a bo- no, 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 no. Even beyond that, it's even fainter. It looks like there's a body. Oh, wow. It's very peculiar. Up in the right-hand corner, sitting behind the UPC is it looks like this like very, very faint white person wearing a coat or a robe or something. I'm, I'm not sure what that is. It's even behind the, the birds flying in. Perhaps That's the personification of Lady Winter. Yeah, and I, I think she has wings. Oh, it's very difficult to, to see. I mean, I'll, I'll go check my remaster release and see if, yes, see if I can see your, something. Your loop. Your Steve Wilson. Nick, any information about the artist of the creator of these images? So cover concept was Ian Anderson. Shocker. Art direction was Peter Wegg. And the cover painting was by David Jackson. Hmm. I could not find a single thing about David Jackson. He's probably in the witness protection program now. He, Aside from the fact that he's actually done a handful of rock album covers. Oh, okay. Yeah. But like he doesn't have a site that I could find. He doesn't have anything. But so so we start, so he did uh, the cover photo for an Austin Lucas album. He did the photography for I Kill Ya album. In 76, he, de- he designed the Climax Blues Band album. Then in 79, we have artwork and cover painting for Stormwatch. Then he took, he went on hiatus apparently. And then from 79 into 97... Oh, wow. He came in again and did the artwork and design for an Eliza Carthy album. Then 2013, he jumped in and did an album for Drowning Pool, an album for Escape the Fate. Then he's got three in 2014, one in 2016, two in 2017, and one in 2019. That is quite a career. It's just, it's a handful. I wanted to see what else he's done. I wanted to see what other photography or... Or anything like that, but I could not find anything. The only repeats we have is the band Steel Panther used him three times. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, it could be that the name, his artist name, is a is sort of a nom de plume, and he keeps his his real identity secret from the public. I suppose, but you'd think he his nom de plume would at least have 
a presence, you know, of the work that he's done, but... Artists are mysterious creatures, Nick. That's true. Just ask Ian. We will. We, we will ask Ian. Uh, are you a mysterious I, creature, Yep, sir? that's exactly what I was going to say. Yes. <laughs> this this interview is done. Fantastic. Yeah. What about what? What else do you have on the uh, on the old album art? That's front? it. That's it. Is there anything on the inside? No. There's no gate. There's no gatefold or anything. It is. It is. It's a single pitta bread. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You just take out the falafel, put yep. it on your record player. Yeah. Don't look into the pitta. Sounds delicious. <laughs> well, that's fabulous. Thank you that's so it. much for bringing that to our visual attention, visualizations. Fits very well with the theme. Ian clearly knew what he was going for, both orally and visually. I love that polar bear. That's so cool. It is. I, that That's a back tattoo, if ever I've seen one. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say that. <laughs> back tattoo? Where on the back? Like the full the full thing? It would the, have to be the full thing. You'd have yeah. to really give it the space that it needs. Oh, it deserves it, yeah. I think if you did it like as a little, you know, as a as a what they used to call a tramp stamp. Yeah, um, the, the lower and, back. And they still do. Uh, then I think it, I think it would, it, the, the scale wouldn't really work. Yeah. Yeah, we just look, it would just look odd and out of place. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Threatening your butt crack. That, or protecting. Or protecting, perhaps. <laughs> Nick, anything else before we dive into today's content? Protecting it from the hidden enemy. No drilling for oil here. <laughs> Let's dive into Flying Dutchman. Recorded on Valentine's Day of 1979. Oh, how romantic. The first take was The Master. Wow. So this is our final, well, this is the final time album proper. We actually have a bonus track that he did uh, coming up. But this is the last time we're going to hear John Glasscock. And we can get into it a little bit later. But just keep in mind, this is about the legendary ghost ship that can never make port and is doomed to sail forever. And Ian says it's more of a metaphor for human character. We could be that Dutchman lost on an empty vessel floating at sea. Wow, let's float away into this song. Take me, let me drift like various and sundry flotsam and (laughs) jetsam. A penultimate song for an album. And to go into Elegy is, if, oh my gosh, what, I couldn't, I couldn't think of another song for this to move into than Elegy. Yes, because Elegy has some kind of, has a redemptive sound to a certain extent. Whereas if you were to end on this song, I mean, it's just so haunting and so chilling. Yeah. It would be a very, very... A, a harsh choice in a way. Yeah. But there's also there's also still like a a darkness, a sadness to elegy, you know, is, that I but think there's, fits. But there's also a fondness and a, and a warmth with it. Yes. Yeah. It's a, this is just the, the yawning yeah. void. Yeah. There's, a, there's a, a sweet reminiscence there as opposed to, well, we're all ghosts. We're all, we all float down here, Billy. We're, uh, there's a, yeah. we're just ghosts. Nick, how long is this song? How many minutes? This song is over seven and a half. Yeah. It's like 7.37 or eight, or eight, I think. I forgot. I didn't realize how long this was. I'm going to be completely honest. It's, I've never sat and listened to this song. Really? I don't know why. By the time it hits at the al- at the, the end of the album, I don't know. I guess I've just, I've just sunken into it and it, it kind of, maybe because it is on the slower side and it's so... So sweeping and enveloping. Yes. It's very difficult to appreciate, I think, unless you have like the headphones in, you know, and you you don't have anything else pulling your attention. I think that's probably why. I think it's easy to kind of trance out on this song. Yeah. Or trance in, perhaps. That's right. This is actually one of my favorites off of the album. It's really nice. It's really nice. It 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 just just listening this this round has put it up there for me. So 
Nick, this is a meaty one, so why don't we jump in? Yeah, yeah. Musically, it's not too complex musically. There's only a handful of instruments. Well, I mean, I guess there's the regular amount of instruments, <laughs> but it, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel nearly as complex as as we're used to hearing. It's interesting know. that you say that because I I think that it has a lot of musical depth and maybe it's hidden complexity, maybe it's subtlety. The way that it starts with John Evans kind of classically influenced piano yeah. and all those diminished chords and all those very interesting suspended chord changes that are going through. And then on top of that, and then that has a heavy reverb on it. And then Ian's flute comes in in a uh-huh. very, very haunting way. It's stark, I think. I think a lot of the song is is a bit stark. And John's bass comes in at the same time as as the flute. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. I thought it came in later, but I think you're right. Yeah, I, I, it's it's very difficult to track, but it's there. It's definitely there. And this is an amazing example of John Glasscock's signature melodic bass approach. Yeah, it's amazing. It just resonates, and it is it's John Glasscock bass. It's it's yeah mm. TM. Yeah, so meaty. And then we get some sweeping and some singing, and then we get Martin's guitar stings. These mm. these like these flashes of lightning in yeah. in the stormy sea that just light up, and you see nothing but like lifeless eyes around you. Look. <laughs> this is. I mean, this is a legit ghost. You had story. jalapenos before we started recording this episode, I'm s- didn't you? Spicy. Always happens. <laughs> Nightmares. When we get to the So Come All You Lovers, uh-huh. we have the introduction of the mandolin to this song. So come all you lovers of the good life. Which kind of pairs up nicely with the bass, creating this, this wonderful mandolin bass kind of life force bringing in maybe a sense of hope, maybe a sense of a vitality kind of bringing yeah. us back to the modern world for a second. Yeah, there's a there's a lightness there. There's a, a kind of an uncharacteristic lightness to this song in those moments. The the pace picks up and the the pitch and it gets high. That mandolin intro, whenever that comes in, I've always felt that that's a little it feels in a way unexpected, almost out of place, but it also it provides a contrast to the the strong kind of sea swelling feeling of of loneliness that that the rest of the song yeah. inhabits. Yeah, everything else is deep and sweeping and this is this is almost like a jig compared to it. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, that that mandolin really brings in a, a, a different feel just for those choruses, I guess you could call them. And then it then it pulls back down again. And something else about Ian's flute in here we every now and then we we hear his breath uh, when he's playing. Like he's really into the flute playing here, and I feel like it's been a while since we've heard like such unbridled passion that he lets the breath in there. You know, mm, that's an interesting point. I agree. He really lets himself. It's it's amazing to me that this was a a one take snake. Oh my gosh! Yeah, holy cow! I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's just that blows my that wrecks my mind. To get a seven and a half minute song as passionate and complex and layered as it is on the first take, that's crazy. I know. Right? I mean, or is or is it not? Like No, no, I think it's I think it's absolute madness. Yeah, that's and that in I mean, we we say it every now and then, but that goes to show you that like Despite the the tensions going on in the band at the time, like yes, they they are damn good. They and they boy did they work well together. At this point, yeah. it is it's muscle memory. They are they're pros at it. And I think that you know I think some of the tensions come out in the lyrics in this song. Sure, yeah. Just going back to the music, we we have the the mandolin flute breakdown. Uh huh. After the second verse, the strings come in for me prominently on the second verse. Maybe they're present beforehand, but the second verse is when I first hear them. 
I missed the strings altogether until I heard the cello coming out at the very end. Oh, okay. I think they come in in the second verse. Okay. I, I, I can't believe that I missed them, but... I am ashamed to know you, sir. I, I'm, I'm going to change my name and we'll be best friends with, uh, with a different alias for the next 20 years. Oh, that, that works. That's fine. <laughs> the end has that incredible... Uh, that the wind down section, I, I mean, that's not the right way to call, it, but it's 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 a, a thematic fantasy, perhaps, with the flute going into very very mournful territory. Are you talking about like the very end fade out? The last, uh, yeah, the last couple of minutes of the song. After the the lyrics are done, when you hear that cello pull down and then the flute just goes, and it echoes and it's this like, oh, this like this heart rending sorrow of an echo of of just like the cry of someone who has lost something so dear. You know what it reminds me of is, you know, in bluegrass music, there's a certain harmony, a certain sound called the that they, they call the high and lonesome sound. Oh, interesting. It refers to a number of different things, but especially, you know, that when you hear bluegrass singers do that high harmony. Yeah. People talk about it having a, a sense or a relationship or a replication of a train whistle going by at a mm. distance when, you know, you're in the country and everything's so quiet and still. And then far, far off, you hear that train whistle and you just feel that separation from <laughs> from humanity. Yeah. That's kind of, you know, this is the the Scotland rock version of that, of that high and lonesome sound. I'm, I'm very surprised that that is not the name of a band. It may be. It should be. It is now. There's a Vince Gill song of high and lonesome sound. Is that a bluegrass band? Vince Gill is a country artist. Oh, let's hear it. Uh, we will after right now, motherfucker. I'm going to hear that. Gorgeous. God, I love the banjo. What a lovely piece of music. And and you hear in those harmonies when he does when he goes and sings Hi, and the the fiddle almost does a little uh, kind of edges into dissonance territory. Mm. You get that strain. Oh, yeah. So gorgeous. That's yep. what that's what creates that feeling in country music and, and bluegrass music of that that pull at the heart. Oh, interesting. That's so cool that that has a term. That's really, really yeah. cool. I think Hank Williams uh, Sr. may have been the first person to to just use that phrase. Mm. And then it was then ado- adopted. That sounds very right to me. Yeah. Another fun thing with The Flying Dutchman is that uh, the song appears to be in some kind of 6-8 time. Okay. Which is not what I expected, actually. Because it seems so even, but it but when you count hmm. it out, it is actually in I think six eight or maybe a very fast three four. Okay, even though it's like a, a kind of a plotting song on its own, you would still consider a yeah. I think it's counted as one two three four five six one two okay. three four five six. Sorry, Joe. Sorry, sorry, Jim Ancillo. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I don't have anything else musically. Do you? I, I think that we should get into the lyrics because I, I think there's a lot to talk yeah. about. So tell me about The Flying Dutchman. Ah, Nick, The Flying Dutchman is the, as you said, the legendary ghost ship that is never able to make port. And the stories of it originated in the 17th century. Apparently, the the, the standard version of the myth is that there was a a ship maybe owned by the, the Dutch East India Company. Okay. Which the Dutch had absolute control of the seas for you know 100 years they were the traders their their merchant fleet was bigger than the combined navies of like everyone in Europe oh yeah 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 and apparently there was a ship that came to a certain port on the coast of Africa i think in a storm and was looking for a pilot to take her into shelter 
of course, with a lot of these harbors, you don't just sail into them because you don't know where the rocks are. You need a pilot, mm. somebody who knows the area really, really well to come aboard. This is very common to bring you safely in. And they couldn't get a pilot for whatever reason. The, the harbor said it's too dangerous to send anyone out in a small boat to go to the ship. Right. And so they sank. And you know, they sank with all hands. And as time went on, sailors reported, especially around that area, when when severe storms would come up, they would see the image of a ship in front of them. Sometimes it would be heading straight toward them, ready to crash. And at the last minute, there would be nothing there. Yeah. Sometimes it would be far in the distance. One legend was that if you if you hailed the Flying Dutchman, the sailors aboard her would ask you to send messages to people who had been dead for hundreds of years or 10 years, you know. <laughs> been dead for a long time. Still dramatic, just just less Still dramatic. so, I guess. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is that, you know, it was such a pervasive myth that there were there were even um, one of the one of the famous alleged sightings of it was was by the the Prince of Wales, the future King George the Fifth. He and his brother were on a on a a voyage to you know learn how to be sailors or something. And they there's a written report of one of them noting down this experience where they see the Flying Dutchman coming at them, and then you know that you know somebody somebody says ship ahoy, and they're up on the 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 top crow's nest and then they see everyone sees this ship and at the last minute disappears and then like a moment or two later the guy in the who, who spotted it falls to his death oh, i mean yeah. just like really creepy stuff uh-huh there are of course some some explanations for it you know through science there's an illusion that can be caused to see where essentially a ship that is beyond the curvature of the earth the image of it can be reflected mm-hmm into the clouds at a, at a midpoint between you and that ship. So even though you can't see the actual ship, you can see this sort of this distorted inverted version of it. Yeah. At hand, and then it can disappear at a moment's notice. I've seen there's a, I, a couple months ago, there was a picture of a cruise ship that, w- that, that was happening to, if you can find that, oh, like sure. it's super fascinating. It's super, super crazy. And the notion of the flying Dutchman of this ghost ship has pervaded popular culture for years, there have been novels and books and plays and films. A ship called the Flying Dutchman features in the Pirates of the Caribbean series. Oh, yeah, that, that's that's primed for that. That's perfect. Exactly. And of course, you know, it, there's you know, there's a reason why it's such a, a an exciting and it's a story that kind of grips you. And the funny thing is that, you know, you might think, oh, it's it's so fanciful, you know, this idea of a ship that can never come to dock. But in fact, especially in the modern era, there are lots of examples of what they call seafarer abandonment. Oh, so wow. The last, so this is an example. In the last couple of years, there was this famous case of a ship called the MV Amman. And this was a, a big, you know, a cargo ship. It went to the Suez. It went to the mouth of the Suez Canal in the Persian Gulf and it was somebody hadn't paid the docking fees or something uh. like this. There was some reason why it couldn't come into port. And it should have been fine. It should have just been like, oh, well, you know, there's a process for this. But every step of that process got hindered. Someone, the the country where it was trying to dock, didn't want to pay the fueling cost to go get it. And the owners were in financial trouble. And they sort of surreptitiously transferred the responsibility of the ship legally to their engineer, oh, oh. this poor guy called Mohammed Aisha, a guy from Tunisia, I think. And so everyone left and he was not legally allowed to leave. No one would come and get him. And wow. He stayed on this boat that was had no power and nobody could come and get on it. He was there for four years. Oh, my gosh. He just recently was able to go home because a storm pushed the the ship to shore and basically grounded it. And I don't know if that changed the legal status oh. or he was just able to get off of it and, and go ju- to an airport. just run. <laughs> but it, he was by himself on this massive derelict ship for four years. And he said that it was a living hell that he considered taking his own life multiple times. And, you know, and, and you could, and he can see ships coming past. He saw a ship with his own brother on it go past. Oh my God. And so you can imagine it's, it's, it's exactly that feeling. 
Wow. Of like, yeah, I'm haunting this ship. I am the Flying Dutchman. Right. Yeah. That's. I, I, there was there was food on the ship. I think I don't know how he managed to survive, but I think there was some some amount of food, or he was able to get some kind of relief here and there. But not a great situation. Yeah. That's that's insane. That is that is the craziest story I've heard in a very long time. That's the craziest like real life story. <laughs> and apparently, that's not that uncommon. There are lots of other cases of that happening. And really? so you can imagine, you know. The reality of that kind of loneliness and being so close to being able to reconnect with society, but not being allowed to, I think that really fuels this idea of the Flying Dutchman. And I think that all of that is very relevant to the lyrics. Wow. Into which perhaps should we jump? Let us jump into those lyrics. This is a lyric heavy song, so I don't think we should go line by line. I agree. Yeah. Is there what what jumps out at you? What's the first line that resonates for you? I mean, the opening image of old lady with a barrow, life near ending, standing by the harbor wall, warm wishes sending. Old lady with a barrow, life near ending, standing by the harbor wall. You know, you you just you start with this this image of isolation, near death, a working woman who, who despite her being close to death, is still sending warm warm wishes on to those who will live after her. Yeah, presumably to to people at sea, right? It could be. Yeah, maybe she's waiting for the person who never came back. Yeah, sending warm wishes felt like like they were just just taking just going out to sea, and she was like kind of like. Wish, wishing them uh, a good luck, you know, bon voyage oh, yeah, as they go. Oh, her warm wishes are sending children on the cold sea swell. Oh, ch- yeah, the younger generation. Standing by the harbor wall Warm wishes sending Children on the cold sea swell but it's interesting, you know, this whole seafaring culture, every time you say, have a good boat trip, yeah. on some level in the back of your mind, you know, this may be the last time we see each other ever again. It's certainly less drastic and dramatic nowadays, but I mean, yeah, that's always a possibility. It's still a very dangerous, you know, seafaring is a very dangerous profession. Fishing yeah. is a very, very dangerous profession. This early part describes the the children Going out to fish the herring? Yeah, which... n- not fishers of men. Not fishers of men. Gonna chase away the last herring. Come empty home again. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's a cool line. I really like that a lot. Reference to, to, to Mr. Mr. Jesus. J-Dubs J Christ, yeah. The herring reference is fascinating to me. That really ties us back into the whole environmental changes. The her- the heron industry was in the 1800s and 1700s and, you know, probably earlier, a massive life-giving industry. Did you say heron or herring? Herrings. Okay. <laughs> There's a song that my dad actually sings, the, the Shoals of Herring. Oh, yeah. And the descriptions of them were, you know, used to be like, you would sail out and find the Shoals of Herring and there'd be so many herrings in the water that you couldn't see the water. It was like you could you could almost imagine being able to walk out of the boat onto these herrings because they were so plentiful. And you just scoop them up and whack them in the boat. And a, sh- a shoal is like just the collective noun for fish, right? It's kind of like school. I think so. But it's also, you know, a shoal is like where the sand rises up and just touches the surface of the water. So you can imagine a solid body yeah. of fish. Yeah. Oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, it's it's both. I see. Nautically, it's that that stretch of land that right. is just beneath, or or it's a large number of fish that swim together. Right. Huh. But yeah, I can see, I can see the 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 correlation there. How they became the same thing. And as shipping and fishing got more efficient, 
and the desire for fish got more and more as the population you know blew up and these fishing villages wanted to export more and more in the early 20th century the and even late 18 late 19th century the herring were totally depleted so this line sure. of to chase away the last herring is almost you know this elegy to a a species that has for so long given life to a culture and now is gone and also it's 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 interesting on the on the theme of the flying dutchman is you are you're sealing your your doom you are causing your own end right by fishing the last of what you have made a living on for the last how many right, years exactly yeah and then we switch into the chorus i think that the the inclusion of the on your supermarket run is a is very biting so come on you lovers of the good life on your supermarket run yeah and it's it also it also puts it on a more it makes it more relatable you know Right. For the average listener, they're not going to be like, oh, wow, I, I went out to sea and fished herring. But but I do go to the supermarket. But I do go to the supermarket and I can be, I can have that allegory of the Flying Dutchman in my life because I'm doing the same thing over and over and I'm falling into this rut and I will never reach whatever it is, my end goal, my home. Yeah. For me, I get two things out of the chorus. One is... You know, the contrast of the verse and the chorus, one is we're all just one unfortunate situation away from being the Flying Dutchman, like like Mr. Muhammad Aisha, <laughs> like yeah. he went out to work one day and then suddenly he was stuck on a boat for four years. Yeah, the butterfly effect right. of dominoes falling and then you get stuck with the, the, the fuzzy end of the lollipop, as my dad used to say. <laughs> exactly. So all of us, you know. All of us are in the hands of fate and all of us can be separated from those, from everything that we love and everything that we, that gives us life in an yeah. instant. The other side of it is, and, and be there when the Dutchman comes. And set a sail of your own and be there when the Dutchman comes. I don't know if I'm reading more into it than, than is there, but I feel like that is a, a reminder that you can reach out to the person who is in that haunted, mm. terrible situation. You can be the one to deliver that message for them or. Yeah. Maybe if you're, you know, maybe even if you're not able to allow them to come into port metaphorically. Right. Right. Maybe you are able to deliver that message for them and, and just show them that, that touch of humanity. That's really, yeah, that's really beautiful. I like that. So come on. Yeah. And that's the lightness there. He's, he's changing from in the, the verses he's changing from, from explaining, from narrating and telling us the situation. He's, he's telling us about all these people. Then he turns to you and he's saying, listen, I've been singing to you, you, even when you go out on your supermarket run and you wow. set a sale of your own devising, you get in your, your Grand Prix or whatever, you be there when the Dutchman comes. Right. There's no excuse in a way. Yeah. That's really beautiful, Omen. Oh. Uh, this song, this song is gorgeous. I mean, this song yeah. is, is incredible. Is this, I think, and I haven't ever really sat down with the lyrics and listened to it on headphones. Yeah. But I've always had an appreciation for it. My gosh. In the second verse, we get a little bit more of a kind of a direct picture of the Flying Dutchman itself, you know, the the historical idea of the Flying Dutchman. Are Death you... grinning like a scarecrow, Flying Dutchman, seagull pilots flown from nowhere try to touch one. Death grinning like a scarecrow Flying Dutchman Seagull So again, we go into the, we go to the idea of the pilot. Sure. Yeah. Funnily enough, the word pilot actually comes from the Greek word for an oar. Oh, interesting. I think you would use an oar to get into port. Yeah. So you, you would pilot your boat. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. I, 
the, the seagull there, like they're flying like a pilot, you know, like a flying a plane. Oh, that's so funny. I never even thought of that. That's exactly what I thought. But I do like the idea of the pilot guiding them out, you know, guiding them to safety. But also, if you follow a seagull as a pilot, you're just going to go in a weird bird path. You know, that's not going to lead you anywhere. But you don't see seagulls far out to sea. That's true. You know, that's always a good sign if you're looking for land. When As soon as you start seeing gulls, you're not that far off. So I wonder if it's this symbol of, you know, of you you can be close to... And I think, this, you know, the theme of the song and the theme of the Flying Dutchman is you can get close to human contact. You can get close to society, but you can't ever rejoin it. Huh. It's spooky. Oh. It's some spooky shit. It's spooky and I... Oh my gosh, I love the allegory that he put together here. I really do. And then, you know, a little bit later we have, as she slips in in the full time and the harbor master yells, all hands vanished with the captain, no one left the tale to tell. As she slips in on the full time And the harbor master yells All hands vanished with the captain It's almost like the ship, for lack of a pilot, tried to come into the harbor on its own navigation. Yeah. Even though the harbor master was like, no, 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 don't do it. Yeah. It was too late. They hit a rock and sank. Well, the harbor master is technically uh, there to tell the tale, but he probably won't. He'll get fired. Oh, if the harbor master, if these harbor masters could talk, what tales would they tell? <laughs> At the very end, we've got the final, some so come all you lovers. The first and the second time, they're very positive. But this one has, has kind of a, you could be that too, much like Ian said, that quote I read in the very beginning. So come all you, you lovers of the good life, look around you, can you see, staring ghostly in the mirror, it's the Dutchman you will be, floating slowly out to sea in a misty misery. So come all you lovers of the good life, look around you, can you see, staring ghostly from the mirror. of pop got a lot of his inspiration from ian anderson ian wrote those lyrics right he wrote all of jackson's music yeah it's even the jackson five even early early on uh, yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah no one really knows this <laughs> little known fact latoya jackson big client of ian anderson's yeah he wrote the jackson five he wrote it all yeah 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 mm. Whew. so i mean again in that last chorus really reinforces that idea that like we are all the flying dutchman and it is only through salvation. I mean, you know, it's like, what is the salvation for a lost soul? Could it be as simple as, like you said, someone reaching out to you? Or could it be like, like we, we are on that, that brink at any moment and we are one contact with human beings away from it, maybe. Yeah. We teeter. I, I think that this, you know, we talked about old ghosts being a ghost story. I think this... This is so much more a ghost ghost story. Yeah, it really is. Well, old ghosts is like is an is a personal ghost story, a personal mythos. You know, it's it's the one that you tell, like, oh, and then the dog started barking and ran away, sure, and, yeah. and I was left alone fishing in that river. Oh yes, this is this is a like a universal ghost story. It's like, oh yeah, everyone knows about the Flying Dutchman. Exactly. Whether yeah. you've seen it or not. Yeah. Look out. Yeah. Yeah, very true. How does this fit into Stormwatch other than 
just the, the sea, the darkness in the sea. Because there's, no, there's nothing really environmental here. Except for the herrings. Well, the herring, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, it just, uh, it doesn't feel... Well, I guess this whole second side was really like ghost stories and maybe a little more about mortality, I suppose. I think that, you know, Ian has said rather recently to us, Ian has said that Stormwatch is really inspired by the Scottish Highlands, the the Isle of Skye, the the Hebrides. And so, you know, even there's just there's just even that connection with seafaring culture. Yes. Yeah. he, He was inspired by the places he was spending time. Those places are big. A lot of those places have, you know, an an intense traditional connection with the sea. And so, of course, there would be these myths. And, of course, there would be this this kind of this use of seafaring metaphor to describe the crushing loneliness of existence. Yeah. All that being said, if I heard this on Broadsword or Crest, I wouldn't blink an eye. I think Mm. sonically it fits very well. Yes. And... Those albums are, well, I mean, honestly, I think Stormwatch is really one of the last, as close to concept albums as we can get, you know? So the other ones are more just like a smattering of themes and, and songs and stuff. But I think in, in that sense, it makes it fit even to fit in even better, you know? I've just had a thought. Please, please tell me that thought. I will. In the form of words, a lot of the theme of Stormwatch is the kind of conflict or the the tension between the modern industry and the forces of nature. Yeah. One of the things that lots of people has, have observed about the 20th century is that the rise of technology has separated us as individuals further and further from each other. It's broken down traditional societal structures. It has broken apart the multi-generational home. It, Mm -hmm. as a result, we're all working from home and not seeing you know, physically seeing our coworkers. And so I think that thematically this idea of, you know, drifting away from society hmm. and being cursed to never be able to return to it in a meaningful way is, is kind of appropriate to the, the, uh, the reality of the 20th century. Ooh. Sure. Yeah. It's got chilly in here. Yeah. This was 79. He couldn't have known to the extent that it would would occur that we are currently living in. But he could see the trajectory. Exactly. Like, you can't expect Facebook and cell phones and, and COVID, but it's, a, it's only a matter of time before something moves us that way if you're seeing right. enough of it. Right. Because mankind embraces inertia. Mm. Yeah. I do want to ask you, this is the end of the album, album proper, obviously, no bonus tracks. What have you learned? What have you experienced? What do you appreciate more about Stormwatch? I, like so many of the albums, I think that I've gained an appreciation, kind of a confirmation of a lot of things that I felt subconsciously or instinctively about this album. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the themes... The more that we've delved into them, the more that we just find deeper, deeper layers of something that I think I was already somehow, you know, in some way aware of. Right. From listening to it casually. I think I have a much bigger appreciation for this, the spooky side of Stormwatch. Sure. Side B is the spooky side. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I also have a much bigger appreciation for this album in terms of its position in the history and progression of Jethro mm. Tull. I mean, it really is the gothic exclamation point on the end of a of a huge era of Tull. Yeah. That's very well put. Nick, I have a question for you. Yeah. What is your favorite historical ship? Friendship. <sighs> <laughs> I despise you so much. <laughs> You're into nautical stuff. I'm not. Okay. I'll give you some favorite ships to think about for next time. I could tell you the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, you know. Ugh, no one likes those. No one likes those. And what's the ship that, that Columbus came over on? The Enterprise. The Enterprise. Was it actually? 
No. <laughs> I, w- I wish that one had burned down. Yeah, no, I, I got I got nothing in terms of ships. Okay. Uh, oh, the Planet Express ship? <laughs> That's a good ship. I'll take it. The good ship Planet Express? Nick, what shall we be talking, Tall, about next time? Next time is the first bonus track off of the album. I think you like this one. I'm pretty sure you really dig this one. It's A Stitch in Time. Oh, I love A Stitch in Time! <laughs> ah! I thought I so. I love A Stitch in Time. I love A Stitch in Time. It, make, it makes you turn into a Muppet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of that song. Until next Tuesday, you don't have to drift aimlessly in the sea of the internet. You can reach out with five stars, which we will take from you, and they will light the way for everyone to come to the podcast and bring us all into greater connection. I've got some some five-star news. Apparently, Spotify is rolling out or has already rolled out the ability to give stars to podcasts. O-M-G. That is a game changer. So everybody, uh, I believe Jacqueline asked, I believe, oh, a couple other people ask. Everybody who listens to us on Spotify, get in on that. Give us those five stars, please. We want Spotify's server to positively be overwhelmed and crash due to the quantity of stars being forced into its record-keeping system. They will not have enough room for all of those stars. Indeed. You can't be a wee girl in a straw hat. You don't say that. Don't tell me what I can. We don't have straw hat merch. However... We do have other Talk Tall to Me merch, which you can find at TeePublic. The link for it is in our show notes. And while you're thinking about spending money on the sweet, sweet, feckless moms, why don't you join our Patreon? Look around you. Can you see, staring ghostly in the mirror, a Patreon subscriber? (laughs) That was really good. For only $5 a month, you can have access to our Discord, fun chats, some b- amazing bonus material, even the occasional live listening party. It's a blast. It is a boogie woogie. Until next week, I am the death grinning like a scarecrow, Nick McGill. I am the slow ocean hobo, Omen Said. We are the seagull pilots, the feckless moms. And this is your supermarket run, Talk Tall to Me. <laughs> Six bells, aye. Pass me that marlin spike, will you, young Jakey boy? Here you go. Oh, God, thank you much. Next time you might think about using your hands to pass it. Oh, I thought thought I wasn't supposed to touch things until I was actually a sailor. Oh, Jakey boy, you see this cursed fog which doth surround us? I see it. It tastes funny. "'Twas on a night just like this, when I was not much older than ye, that I did see the cursed ghost ship, the scourge of the seas, the flying Dutchman. Have you heard of it, boy? Is that the one that delivers pigs? No, that's the snorting coachman. Oh. This is different. That's a different one. This is the... I... Oh, it was back in the year of 1771, just... I was a wee youth, full of piss and vinegar, still had all me limbs. That's a very long time ago. Just after six bells, I was watching from the mizzen mast. And not, not two hundred yards, not two hundred cable lengths away, I saw all aglow a strange red light as, as of a phantom ship. It was coming toward us. Oh, I called down to the officer. He saw her as well, as did the quarterdeck midshipman was sent at once to the forecastle, and we all swore on a stack of Bibles. It was a ship just there in front of us. Was that the time you were delivering all of those Bibles? It was the Bible shipment of 1761, (laughs) during the Great Bible Rush. The Bibles were very heavy, lad. Took you ten years to to deliver them. We had to go back for more. Oh, right. And there she was. Oh, and just at the moment when our crossbars were about to become entangled, taking us down to a watery grave of Davy Jones. The ship 
disappeared, leaving only a fiery creature, entity, a fiery demon. Wait, I've got a better metaphor for this. Leaving a fiery image of, of the captain, Captain Von Hoosman himself, oh. reached out a cursed hand, dripping with sea pines and barnacles. And he caught, he looked straight into my soul with his beady red eyes. You know what he said to me, lad? Pass the Bible? After that. Oh, I don't know. After that, he said, Dark Tull to me is a proud member of the Feckless Moans Audio Network. Ah! Oh, no, I'm overboard, Splash. Oh, oh. I'll, need, I'll need cuddles to fall asleep tonight. You're the midshipman now, little jerky. 